0: Hey everyone, you're listening to the Covenant Grace Church podcast. We are a gospel-centered community on mission with Jesus in Port Elizabeth, South Africa. Enjoy the message. Okay, cool. Alrighty, just want to get this right. Okay, great. Um, Yeah, we had a lovely week. Um, for those actually, for those that don't know me, my name's Emil. Uh, we had a lovely week with our team in, in Haga Haga. It was a really, really special time. Um, and I actually just wanted to say I, I didn't actually clear this with, with the elders, but I hope it'll be okay. It's going to be uh, quite hectic. No, I'm joking. Um, you know, we, we get an opportunity to spend time with other churches in our network. So a whole bunch of these churches—they're uh, leading their own congregations. Uh, this Sunday, they're going about their ministry rhythms, they're having Sunday services, and we don't get to see them that that often. Um, but when we do see them, we're stoked about what's going on at their churches. And also just to find out that there are other people in the same boat that we're in. There are other people that are going through the same stuff that we're going through. Um, there are other people that are praying for us, just as we are praying for them and thinking about them. Um, and also just to say, it is so wonderful to be part of an amazing community like this, I think we take things like this for granted, that we get to be part of this community, that God has knitted us all together by his grace. We all get to come here together, we all get to worship together. And and just from, I hope I can speak for the staff, but just to say that we do this because we love you guys, we do this because we want the best for you guys, we do this because we wanna see Christ grow, grow, grow larger in your hearts, for you to become more mature, towards the stature of Christ, and by the end of your life, hopefully, you will look something, you know, much like Him by the time that we die. Um, And so, please be encouraged. Be encouraged that people are thinking about you in East London, in Johannesburg, in Cape Town, in all of these places. They know what's going on in our story. They're praying for us, and uh, please be praying for them as well. Cool. All right. Back to business. Okay, so, if you're joining us for the first time, we're in the Gospel of John. We're in part 15 at the moment, chapter six, and uh, it's quite an interesting passage. Oh, sorry, it's quite an interesting passage uh, in terms of where we happen to find it. So, if we look back to last week, Jesus has just done this incredible thing where he's multiplied all of this food, and he's managed to feed five thousand people with all of this, with, with just a really, really small amount of food, and it's quite a wonderful miracle. Uh, and then. What happens is later on in the chapter, he goes on to explain exactly what this miracle means, because right now we know that this happened, and then there's this little kind of like weird section in the middle, and then he comes later and he says, this is what this actually meant. But today, I'm preaching on this weird section in the middle, Jesus walking on water, and at first glance when you read this chapter, it's almost like, what on earth is this? what on earth is this doing here? This has nothing to to do with bread. This has nothing to do with multiplication. Like, what is actually happening in this little section? And it's only five verses long. Uh, it really, it seemingly, it doesn't have anything to do with this chapter. Uh, it's also in this account of the story, John doesn't really give us much detail to go with. He tells us a bunch of stuff, uh, but then we have to rely on other gospels to fill in the missing information. So, Today, I'm actually going to be drawing a lot, a lot of missing information that I think is quite helpful for Mark, but we're not preaching Mark. Okay, we're not preaching Mark, we're preaching through John. We want to hear what John has to say to us, but we are going to pull some missing bits out of Mark, because I think it's quite important. Um, it's just going to color in context, that's all it's going to do. Okay. I also want to just apologize to the good city of uh, Umtata uh, in the Eastern Cape. For any potential offense I might cause, I'm going to use your city as an analogy today. And I know that we, have, uh, we do have some online viewers that watch us from Umtata. So guys, it's nothing against you. It's just uh, something that I could remember from my childhood, and I just have to go there just for the sake of today's preach. So please forgive me. It's not a dig at you. Okay. All righty. So I'm going to read the text for us. If you, if you would like to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, John chapter 6, 16-21, if you don't have a Bible, the text will be on the screen. I'm going to read, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Okay. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, it's about eight to ten kilometres. They saw, Je- sorry, not, it's not eight to ten kilometres. Sorry, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he, but he said to them, "It is I. Do not be afraid." Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Okay, so we're going to look at this text under two headings today under human limitation, and then we're going to look at it under divine fulfillment. But the first one, human limitation. So verse 16 to 17, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So we have zero information. We don't know why these guys are going. We know where they're going. They're going to Capernaum. We don't know why. We don't know really what their purpose is. Are they are they just going for fun? Are they just done on the one side of the sea? Now they're going to finish on the other side. There's really not a a lot of information. So Mark colors in the story for us a little bit more. In Mark chapter 6, verse 45, it says, Jesus, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. Okay, so now we know they're not just going because they want to go. They're not just going on a whim. They're going actually because Jesus has commanded them to go. He said, you guys need to go to the other side of the sea. Go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. So, so why is he dismissing the crowd? We've got this information, what's going on. He sends them. They're not going of their own will. If you're a disciple at this point in time, so, so you've just fed 5,000 people. Can you imagine what that's like? You're in the presence of Jesus. He's taken this little bit of food. He's multiplied it to 5,000 people. It's, it's miraculous. What do you think happens when, let's say, a magician comes to town? You know, when you see someone doing these crazy little tricks... Everyone's like, oh my word, we need to gather, gather around this person. What are you going to do next? Pick a card, any card? You know, all of that stuff. So there's, there's hype, there's hubbub, there's a lot of commotion surrounding Jesus at this point, and we need to remember that the disciples as well, they're not, they're not divorced from this. This is still quite early in John's gospel. They're not suddenly on board with, with Jesus' mission. They're, they're following along, and Jesus has called them, and he is keeping them. By his grace, he's keeping them, All right but they're still immune to some of, those, some of the crowd antics. So if the crowd's getting riled up, you can imagine that the disciples are going like, oh my word, oh my goodness gracious, like what is going on here? People are gathering around us. We're going to be famous. This guy, we're one of the 12. Let's go, guys. Like we're, this is our time to shine. Verse 15 in the previous, in the previous text says they were going to take him and make him king, can you imagine what that must have sounded like to the disciples? It must have been like, oh, king, and we're one of the 12. Oh, my word, we're in for something really, really big here. It's, if you can think about it like this, Covenant Grace is on the cusp of, of growth. We've just bought these buildings, and we're moving to warmer. And uh, let's say one Sunday, Greg preaches a fire sermon, And then next week, 5,000 people decide they're just going to commit their lives to the Lord. They're going to come to Covenant Grace. We have staff meetings on a Tuesday, and we're all just hyping each other up. We're going like, oh my word, guys, did you see 5,000 people? I know, like 5,000 people are coming. 5,000 people, we're going to get our building. We're going to build all this stuff. And then Greg goes, yeah, but I need you to go be excited in Amtata. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Hey, this is where the hype is happening. This is where all of this stuff is going on. But Greg is like, yes be excited in over there. Go be excited over there. And because there's so much hype, because there's so much that maybe Greg has to deal with over here, there's no time to explain. There's no time to say, let me, let me just explain this. When you've got someone hounding you here and someone hounding you here and everyone's just, everyone's just in your face, Jesus doesn't have time to go, all right, John, uh, let me just explain the plan to you. I need you to go across the sea, I need you guys to just take a nice slow journey. He doesn't have time to do any of that. He's busy trying to fend off and fight off people, and this is his way of just protecting his disciples, in a sense, when while he sends them off. But this is where all the action is happening, and so you can imagine that there's a bit of frustration brewing in them. Why, why is that? Why is there frustration? There's, there's something going on with these guys, because there's a limitation placed on them in their humanity, in their understanding. They, they, they can't understand why it is that Jesus is, is doing them. They're part of this mission. They're, they're part of this journey that, that Christ is taking them on. But why is it so difficult for them to, to understand and, and grip onto this? Now, what happens if someone asks you to do something that you don't understand? It, it's strange. Maybe you don't want to do it. You you might have an initial apprehension, and after a while you go, oh, fine. Like, I'll do it. Like, I hope you're going to explain this to me. But but initially there is an apprehension surrounding a lot of these things, and in their limitation, in their human understanding, they, there's no time for Christ to explain. But also for them, there's there's another there's another side. They would never admit that they've got another agenda informing their disgruntled nature, but. That's what it is, right? When we have this misunderstanding, something inside of us goes, I don't I don't know if I would have I don't know if I would have done it the same way. I don't know if I would have done it that way. So there's a deep sense of, of frustration that's now brewing in these guys, you know. They might even be thinking, look at this guy, he's getting, yeah, he might have done the miracle, but now he's getting all the glory. Like how come we how come we don't get any of this, you know? Mark fills in more blanks for us in verse 52. Now, this is when they're on the water. Mark says, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And so even while the miracle of the loaves were happening, they couldn't see what that was all about. They couldn't really, they couldn't really tell why this miracle was happening. All they knew was, our agenda is taking place. We've got fame coming. We've got fortune coming. We're riding on the coattails of Jesus' success. This is all about me, 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 me. But they can't actually... They can't actually fathom what Jesus has done. They're not looking at the miracle to look at Jesus. They're looking at the miracle to see what are we going to profit from this. And Jesus, in his wisdom, he says, no, I'm going to take you guys. I need to send you off because you're too important to fall into this trap. Okay. They might even be thinking, what is the point of all that bread making? I want to revel in this fame. We packed 12 baskets of bread into this boat. My back is killing me. Why, Lord? You know? The truth is that it, it is often something within ourselves that we're unwilling to part with. And so the disciples, like I said, it's, it's their agenda that's making them feel uneasy because suddenly something's not going according to plan. They were going, yes, 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 yes. No, no, we're going this way. We're going to go this way and suddenly they're disorientated, they don't know what to do, and their nature is disgruntled. They feel frustrated within them. They won't say it. No one's going to say it because they're following this guy on his mission. But it definitely begins to show, you know? When it comes to our understanding, we can put our understanding here, versus God's understanding, which is somewhere... Around here, it will, it's always going to win. It's going to crush our understanding because it's, it's on a, another level. I think Susanna, when she prayed, said, um, "What did she say? Your ways are so high." Isaiah fifty-five says, "For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways neither are your ways my ways." Declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's wisdom, God's understanding of, of a situation, our wisdom, our understanding in a limited human capacity, it's going to crush us every time. It, it's too far beyond what we can imagine. Psalm 139, verse 4 to 6, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. He knows what we don't even know. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. That is the realm of the wisdom that God operates in. It is so high, it's unattainable. He tells us that. You, we, we can't attain to this level of wisdom. We can understand to a degree, but on the level of thinking that God's on, we cannot we cannot achieve that. And so the dis- disciples have a dilemma here. They, they, have, they have to sort something out. It's a classic case of leaning on their own understanding, and that's feeding their frustration. They're moving forward in, in some sort of legalistic obedience. It's not, a joyful, it's not a joyful obedience, which it should be to follow Jesus. They should want to follow Jesus, but they're moving in, forward in a legalistic type of obedience. Fine, we'll do it, but we don't like it. We don't want to do this. It's conflicting with their expectations and it breeds frustration, but there's not just that that's feeding their frustration. There's, there's a little bit more. It's not just their understanding that's limited. It's not just their mental space and their intellectual space, but it, they have a physical limitation as well. If we keep reading verse 18 to 19, it was now dark. So so this happens the the day before. It's still light. Mark tells us that by the time they reach about halfway, it's the fourth hour. So it's about three, four o'clock in the morning. So they've been rowing. The sea became rough because of a strong wind. When they had rowed about three or four miles, that's where they got to. They took hours just to get just under halfway, just over halfway, they took hours to get there. It's a short distance from where they need to go to to Capernaum, it's about eight to 10 kilometers. It's not far, but now they're faced with inclement weather. The, The sea is raging up, the wind is starting to howl, and this area is notorious for its stormy seas. At this point, they've been rowing for hours, they are tired, they are depleted. If I go back to Umtata, now this is, this is my gripe with Umtata, if you've ever driven through Umtata, have you ever driven through on the N2 to Umtata? Goodness gracious, it takes a six hour trip, and it turns it into like 11 hours. When you're in town in Umtata, you don't know what's going on, you're working against traffic, cattle, people, there's, there's all sorts of things happening in the main street of Umtata, and all you want to do is get to like Port Alfred or Durban, And you're sitting in this, and you're frustrated. You've just driven six hours. You're tired. You're confused. You don't know what's going on. You're like, what's going on? What's holding up the traffic? And that's the case with them at the moment. They're tired. They're depleted. They're very confused. They're very frustrated at this point. And again, they're, they're they're not considering Jesus. What is the only thing that they are considering about Jesus? He had not come to them yet. Oh, where is he? where is this guy? You know, why doesn't he just show up? Do we consider that in our own lives, in, in frustrated moments? Do we consider Jesus in these moments? And I, and I don't mean a consideration of, where are you, Lord? You know? Where are you? I need you to come through for me. I need you to deliver me from my frustration. And I, I want to suggest we, we probably don't, we probably just ask that question where are you and we ask it in a frustrated manner and could it be that just like the disciples maybe we maybe we don't truly understand who it is that we're actually actually worshiping you know these guys again they've they've seen they've seen water turn to wine they've seen a healing they've seen a healing they've seen a multiplication of food to feed 5000 people and and they're about to see something else but all of that stuff should have should have given away that actually they're dealing with with something not not an ordinary man they're not dealing with someone ordinary from from next door you know which leads me to my next point divine fulfillment do these guys know who they're worshiping okay now while this is all going on in the water mark 6 48 tells us, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against him. He's watching. Jesus is watching all of this unfold. He's on top of the mountain. He's retreated to the mountain. He's praying to God, but at the same time, he can see them fighting and striving and going against the wind, watching them get tired. He's allowing them to go through this. This is all part of the plan because he's planning to reveal himself in a very, very specific way. He doesn't pull them aside, he doesn't whisper softly, he doesn't write them a letter, but he chooses what we're about to see, he chooses this method on purpose because it holds a lot more significance, it holds a lot more weight, it's, it's wrought with significance. And he knows that if, if I can just reveal myself in this way, maybe, maybe something's gonna land with these guys, maybe they, they will finally just believe and hold fast. And so verse 19 and 20 says, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. And again, why? Why this way, Jesus? Why not just tell them, you know? Open their mind to the scriptures, Luke 24. Why don't you just tell them who you are? But again, at this point in time, they're bound. Man is bound. We are bound by limitations, physical limitations, mental limitations. And John is trying to highlight these limitations for us. Human understanding can only take us so far, and they're failing in this area. Human physicality can only take them so far, and they're failing. They're in the middle of the sea, they're stranded, they've got nowhere to go, they're tired. What about God? What are God's limits? Does God have limits? Do you think God has limits? I don't think so. It's a simple answer. It's no. God doesn't have any limits. Job 5, 8-9 says, As for me, I would seek God, and to God would I commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He just continues, continues, continues to do these miracles, to do things that perpetually confound us. Job 11:7 Can you find the deep things of God? Can you find out the limits of the Almighty? For Jesus to appear to these guys walking on water is a clear it's a clear statement of his divinity. Because him doing this, him walking on water, it transcends any kind of understanding that they would have had. If, if, you, if you see someone today walking out at pipe, you're going to be freaked out. You're not going to know what to do. That's unnatural. It doesn't happen. You can't make sense of it. And in, your, in your mind, you will never be able to make sense of this thing. What about physically? A physical body trying to walk, trying to walk on water. That, it's, it's inconceivable. We can't understand it. We are limited. But God is not limited. We cannot walk on water, and this this would have considerably rocked these guys, would have challenged everything that they believed at this point. And I don't want to forget the context that they're in. They're they're in the middle of a raging, stormy sea. They're struggling. They're now scared because they think they see a ghost. And they are rightfully scared. Of course, who wouldn't be afraid of that if you see this figure appearing out of the mist, walking on water? It's incredible. How is he able to do this? Paul tells us in Colossians 1, 15 to 17, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him the water, the air, the land. All of these things have been spoken through Jesus, the Word made flesh. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is sustaining all of these things because he is inside all of these things. It has echoes of of the Genesis account as well. So the earth was without, without form. Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was without form and void, The darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. Another clear statement of Jesus' divinity. He was there when these waters were created. And these disciples, they know that. They're good Jewish boys. They've grown up reading the Torah. They knew the scriptures. And really, if you had to consider the predicament that they find themselves in, if they really knew the scriptures, let's take a look at Psalm 107 from 23 to 30. And this is crazy. This is what it says. So it says Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to the heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were, and were at their wit's end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. I mean, how, how do they not know this? Jesus has effectively pulled out all the stops. He even goes as far as using comforting words to reassure them, echoes of of Moses' encounter with the burning bush. He's effectively telling them. what What is he trying to tell them? He says, guys, it's me. It's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's me. These waters belong to me. This storm, this storm belongs to me. I raise this storm up and I can quiet the storm down. I'm God. Can you guys not see it? Are you looking at me? Look at me. I'm God. Are you looking at this, this fish and loaves miracle? Are you looking at this water? Are you looking at this walking on water? Are you looking at me, Jesus, God. And again, up until this point, the water turned to wine. He's healed many people. He's multiplied the bread. But this was God manifesting his glory in, in a much more magnificent way. Lord over creation. Even with the bread, we see him take this created substance because he's Lord over creation. And he's able to manipulate these things. And the same goes for the water. And he's asking his disciples, do you see now? Do you see? You had your eyes closed before, but now do you see who I am? You were intrigued before, but now you are reverent. You are afraid. Are you looking at me now? Are you looking at me now? Because it is I. This isn't Jesus' only intention in allowing all of this to unfold. Of course, we, I think what's so beautiful about this passage is we actually see a foreshadowing of the gospel here. I think um, when you look at all of, the, all of the, the limitations that John has highlighted for us, we look at mental or, or intellectual limitation, we look at a physical limitation, and Jesus has allowed these guys to, to get to a point where they can't reason themselves out of the situation. They don't have the power in them to calm a storm. They can row and row and row their boat, but eventually it, it doesn't get to their destination. They have one job. It's to get from start to finish, right? That's where they need to go, from, from the one end of the sea to the other end of the sea. And they can't even do that. They can't even do that without Jesus' help. But then what happens, along comes Jesus and he, and he pours out his mercy on these guys because he has a bigger plan for them. And, and it is, it's a foreshadowing of the gospel. Jesus doesn't have mental limitations. He is perfectly obedient to the Father. There's no, there's no obstruction in his way of wanting to obey, to be perfect in his nature, to be the, the spotless lamb without sin. And then if we had to look at the physical limitation, of course there is no physical limitation. Why? Because his body was raised from the dead. They killed him and three days later, what happened? There is no physical limitation on on Christ because he is Lord over death. He has conquered the grave. And so there is a wonderful foreshadowing of the gospel that happens in this account as well. I want to close with with this exhortation from, from Jonah 2. This actually just came to me this morning. Um, I was going to end a bit differently, but I was sitting in my car, uh, just waiting outside, and um, there's this wonderful verse in Jonah 2. It's 2 verse 8, and it says, this is the ESV, it says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I don't like this version, I like the, the New King James Version that says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. This is Jonah when he's in the, the belly of, of the beast. And I love that phrase, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. When Christ calls us to follow him, he calls us into a, a way of life that requires us to, to put certain things down, so so with the disciples, they would go you got you've got to put down this lust for for fame and recognition and and all of these things and, and we are going to see later in chapter six how how Jesus does tell us that he is everything that we need. but what happens when when we're not following what happens when we're not following God the way that he's asked us to follow him? Jonah says We forsake our own mercy. It's it's not God taking mercy away from us. Actually, he's, he's saying, here is the mercy. Here's my word. Here's my church. Read it. Learn from it. Follow me. Learn about me. Love me. Because this is mercy. This is actual mercy. And when we don't do that, we are forsaking that. We are forsaking our own mercy. Just like the disciples, when we begin to let these background issues rule our lives, we're actually just giving ourselves over to what we shouldn't be giving ourselves giving ourselves over to. We're forsaking our mercy by by following something that's not going to produce fruit. It's 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 worthless. It's a worthless idol. I want to encourage everyone here today and I, I want to say, you know, we, we follow a lot of things. Everyone, we all have things in our lives that are, that are big in our lives and maybe sometimes they might be blind spots. We don't know what they are. We can't see them. But when we're presented with, with God and his word, something rubs within us and we can't, we can't explain that. We, we don't know what that is. But sometimes we put it off because we go, no, Lord, I understand. I, I can reason this out because I'm smart, you know. I know all the answers. Um, I read a book one time, and, and this is what's getting me there. But actually, why aren't we asking God about, about all of these things? Why aren't we asking God about what he thinks about some of these things that we decide to follow instead of him? Why are we forsaking our own mercy, really, when it is a mercy to follow Christ? Um, and so that's what I want to leave us with today. I want to exhort us today don't, don't forsake your own mercy, please. There is only one God worth following. There is only one God that is life-giving. There is only one God who is Lord over the seas. He's Lord over the skies. He's, he's Lord of this earth. He's Lord of this universe. And, and he's Lord of our lives too. And if the oceans can obey him, if the wind obeys him, you know we can, we can obey him too. Um, And that's that's my exhortation to us this morning. Amen. Amen. Worship team, thank you. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we, we want to thank you that you are God and we are not, Lord. Lord, we want to thank you that you bring order to chaos. Lord, and because of that, you are worthy of of praise and and worship, Lord. if If we were in charge of our own lives, as sometimes we are, Lord, sometimes we think that we are, we head down a road that is very, very difficult to follow. Lord we thank you that your grace is sufficient for us even now even the things that we are even the things that we are dealing with now Lord even like the disciples if they if they felt like they needed something that they weren't getting Lord thank you that your grace is sufficient for us even now that we don't need those things to fulfill us you have already made us new and you have made us whole Lord you have filled us with joy You have filled us with love, Lord, and I, and I, I pray for us as a church that, that that would overflow with praise and worship to the only God worth worshiping. Not our jobs, Lord, not our families, not, not our, our money or our material possessions, Lord. Not the way people think about us, Lord. None of those things, I, I pray that. We would only live unto you and for your glory. There is only one God worth worshiping, and it is you. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to strive to earn our salvation. Thank you that you have earned that salvation for us with the work that you have done, with the perfect life that you have lived. Thank you, Lord, for the imputed righteousness that we receive from Jesus. Thank you for his perfect life. Thank you for his perfect ministry. offer up our praise to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen.